You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. When you look at the, uh, the good trade, like when we look in football right now, you see like, man, that's a ridiculous trade. Sorry, Kenny. He's an Eagles fan. We see these trades and we're like, what, how does this make sense? That was me. I was getting the most ridiculous trades. I would give away a Babe Ruth card if I had it for a Cal Ripken card. My value system was all about the Orioles, Cal Ripken Jr. That's it. Like, I would give away signed Ken Griffey cards, Frank Thomas, you know, Bo Jackson, all, Sammy Sosa, all these good guys. I would easily, I'd be that kid in the class who's like, I don't have a Beckett. I don't know what it's worth. Oh, it's got Cal Ripken on it. Yes, I'll trade you four of my Ken Griffey's for, for one Cal Ripken card. I've got a stack of Cal Ripken cards. This right here is a Cal Ripken Jr. rookie card. It is one of my prized possessions from childhood. I still, it's in the office every week. If it disappears this week, I, I'm watching all of you. <laughs> it's a prized possession. It, it brings me back to my childhood. But I would have done anything for a Cal Ripken card. Anything. Well, I mean, trading-wise. And so when I, when I look at this, like, th- th- those are ridiculous trades that I made. But when I look in the scheme of things... I look at this passage and I think, this is the most insane exchange I've ever heard about. You've got Jesus being exchanged to the public and in prison and crucified in exchange for Barabbas, a known murderer and an insurrectionist, somebody who's constantly in rebellion, a thief, being exchanged. It's the most unfair trade in all of history. The most ridiculous trade that I can think of in all of history. Where somebody got the bad end of the deal. The truth is this morning when I look at this passage, I want to point out three different trades. And we can find ourselves in one of those three things. And if you look in your bulletins, there's a place to take notes. So uh, part of it's already started for you. So you can just fill in the last part of it. We're going to look at three different exchanges here. But first... I want to look at another gospel's account of this same passage. We just read what's happening in Mark chapter 15. If we could turn over to Matthew chapter 27, chapter 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor, Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when he had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, look at this, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in my dreams. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy, to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing... He was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. He took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. And all the people answered, his blood will be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
trait number one that we see, and we see it more clearly in, in, the Matthew, in Matthew's account, we see that Pilate trades the truth. They came to Pilate, and they know that Pilate, he cares nothing about blasphemy. We see in the earlier passage that we talked about that they're tearing their clothes, the priests are tearing their clothes because Jesus says, I'm the Messiah and I'm also God. He says, you will see the Son of Man in the clouds. He, he revealed to them who he is. He stood firm in silence when he was accused of ridiculous things. And then he said, no, I am the Messiah and I am the Son of God. But they take it to Pilate because he's the one who can crucify him. But Pilate doesn't care about Jewish blasphemy. That's not his concern. What Pilate cares about is Rome and Caesar. So they come to him with this accusation that he's saying he's the king of the Jews. You couldn't be king of the Jews if you were under Caesar as a Jewish person under Rome. And so what what does Pilate find him guilty of? Nothing. Pilate finds him guilty that he's... He finds him guilty of nothing. He's not guilty of insurrection or coming up against Caesar. He finds no fault in him. See, they wanted Jesus to be, at that time, if you were guilty of insurrection, it was punishable by death. So they tried to find a, a wormhole that they could get Jesus in, something, some kind of loophole that they could get him trapped in, punishable by death. And Pilate says, he's not guilty. I know he's not guilty. He finds no fault in him. And then the next thing that we see happen is his wife comes up to him and says, I've had a dream. Don't be a part of this. He's, he's not guilty. Stay away from this. At that time, omens were something that they would have took pretty good value in. So his wife comes to him and begs him, look, not only do you not think he's guilty, but I'm telling you my dreams say, don't be a part of this. But what does it, what does it say, that, that verse there? It says that he would gain nothing. Pilate found the pressure of the crowd more influential than the truth that he knew. The pressure to make people happy superseded the, his desire to pursue truth and justice. He knew what was taking place was completely wrong. But he, wanted to, he needed to gain something out of it. He was afraid of a riot. He was afraid of his name not being respected of having people come against him. So instead of taking the difficult way and pushing forward for truth and justice here in this moment, he's like, I'll just make the crowd happy. I'll do what I know is completely wrong, what my wife has had dreams about. He valued public promotion over truth. And this morning, if we're honest, we can all find ourselves in Pilate. We trade what we believe for public opinion quite often. We exchange values that we know to be dear and, and real for what's, what people would think. What would be easier to get by in the society. It's, it's the bystander to the bullied. The one who knows that if they speak up, then they'll be ridiculed. The one who just watches people be broken and, and watches the poor and does nothing about it because it's an inconvenience. It doesn't build them up. It doesn't encourage their place in society. It's the bystander who's pilot. It's the one who says nothing about Christ, even though they believe that Christ is the hope of the world. All that's within them knows that Christ is the answer to every, every problem, every, every situation. He's the one that brings them joy. 
But they know this, but they know it'll be difficult to share that. They believe he's the hope of the world, but they don't do nothing with it. It's the one who would rather impress their boss at work and earn a promotion than to be a witness for the gospel so that their boss might know Christ. It's very easy to find ourselves in this place where we we don't quite make that decision, but we make that decision. Does that make sense? We are striving so hard to earn a promotion, to earn our boss's respect, that we completely forget that they're lost and they're broken and they they need Jesus. We don't do nothing about that. We would rather them respect us as a business value than to see what we have inside, the Holy Spirit in us, the life changed by the gospel. It's the moment that God gives us a clear word or a vision as to what to do, and we completely ignore it because it's easier. I love that God not only speaks to us who are believers, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, but here in this passage, God speaks to broken, sinful people who don't know him all the time. God still speaks to people all the time. This lady has a vision of what the truth was, and she tells her husband, and he does nothing with it. She just confirmed the very truth that he already knew, and he rejected it for public opinion. See, the irony in this situation is that Barabbas was convicted of rebellion against Rome, and he was released for a man who never said a word against Rome. The very thing they accused Jesus of was what the man they released did. Do you guys see the problem here? The thing that they said will get his attention honestly didn't get his attention. What got, his, what got Pilate's attention was what does the public say? Even though I know this is, I have no place to do this. There's no rebellion here. This is what the people want. This is what I do. Let's, let's wash my hands and pretend I have nothing to do with this. Pretend that he wasn't the, make, the one making the decision. I wonder this morning, do you or I find ourselves in the place of Pilate where we exchange the truth for something that promotes us or is a little bit easier, a little more convenient? Is that where we find ourselves this morning? Trade number two, the people trade their values. It's Friday morning. Friday morning. Last Saturday, the crowd sings Hosanna. They declare him as king. They want everything that he brings from Saturday to Friday. Crucify him. Last week they wanted him to be king and lord, and this week they want him dead. How often do we, we can kind of distance ourselves from this. We can kind of say this is a story that happened biblically, and we can, we can miss ourselves in the story. And I, I don't want us to do that. That's why I'm pointing these out, and it might come across hard, but we have to find ourselves in this story. And we'll, and we'll see why later. Last week they wanted them to be king and lord, and this week they want him dead. We often have these moments where we meet with God, where we experience the goodness of God where we recognize his love for us, the changing power, and all of a sudden we're ready to make him Lord over everything. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like whether it's at a women's conference or a a men's conference or an awesome prayer meeting or you read something in scripture, 
you saw an inspirational thing on Facebook, whatever it was. We all have these moments where we're like, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. During worship, we're singing Hosanna. We're crying out, God, be my king, be my ruler, be my, be my everything. And then throughout the week or even the next day or even that evening, other voices start to seep into our crowd. Other voices start to pop into our head. It's society telling us that the values that you believed before, the values and the morals and, the, and the, the system that you held in Christ, everything that you believe as a Christian, well, it doesn't fit society. So what you believe is wrong. So we start to rethink what we believe. We start to compromise the gospel. We start to compromise the truth of Scripture of everything that we believed before. What does it mean to really follow Christ? Well, it doesn't really mean that. You don't really have to share the gospel. You don't really, to be a disciple doesn't really mean you do anything other than come to church. Like, we start to let these things slip into our conscience and into our way of thinking to where we're making exchanges in very short time. One minute we're so passionate for him, the next minute we're completely dead to him. It's yourself telling you that what Christ desires for you is just too difficult. He really didn't mean this for me. It's too difficult. It's yourself trying to justify the sins that you honestly just want to do. We've all been there. We all begin to make these excuses for the sin in our life. So we, to make it easier, we remove him as Lord and let ourselves be Lord again. We make this exchange because the things that we desire are no longer him. We've let other voices slip in the crowd. It says that these, these Pharisees and these scribes were the ones that stirred this up. And our world, whether you see it or not, is full of these voices that are constantly stirring up. That's not what it really means. That's not what you really need. This is what you need. Not Jesus. Not the gospel. This is what would fulfill you. This is what would make things right. It's your own self that wants to remove him as Lord and just do the things you want. Just do the things that are easy for you. It's trying to remove the one that rules and reigns so you feel better about laziness and sharing the gospel, so that you feel better about just justifying your own sins. Honestly, in our society, we do this where we dumb down the gospel and we remove him as Lord because we want to justify our friends and their actions. We want to justify the people that we know and we love in our society. We want to make things right. We want to remove this idea of a, of a God who has standards, who has a law, who has a way of truth and life. We want to remove this because it's not easy. See, let me point out this. Barabbas was convicted of robbery and insurrection and murder. And most scholars believe he was probably a part of a notorious gang at that time, a group. It sounds ridiculous, a gang at the time. A group of bandits who would rob all Rome and the wealthy Jewish. The guy that the Jewish crowd was chanting for to be released was a guy who was robbing from them as a nation and as a country and as a people. See, they chose one who would steal from them and murder them and destroy them over one who healed them, who brought peace, and he came to give them life. Do you see the contradiction there? 
just like there was a massive contradiction in, in Pilate's decision, the crowd did the same thing. The one who had healed them and brought life and peace, they were exchanging for a robber who stole and killed and destroyed and, and created war. When you and I begin to, we come out of these services, we come out of these moments or these encounters with God, and, and we're like Peter, I'll never betray you. And then the next minute, we let this crowd, this world that we live in, this society that we're around, begin to kind of weigh down the gospel and, and dumb it down to where our religion is nothing anymore. And sooner or later, we have went from praising him to saying crucify him. We might not actually say that with our minds or our lips, but our very actions do it all the time. I don't want you to be Lord right now, Jesus. I don't want to make that decision. It's too difficult. It's easier to go with this. Do you understand what I'm talking about this morning? I hope so. Trade number three. And this is my favorite one. So you can smile because it's, it's good. Trade number three. Barabbas trades positions. We easily forget, we, we, we recognize the crowd's involvement and we recognize Pilate's involvement in this thing. But we can forget about Barabbas' involvement. Let me, let me. We, we've, we've all kind of made Barabbas into this monster, haven't we? Let's be honest. And I've even done that with what I've shared about Barabbas. We all kind of, like, distance ourselves from him. Like, he's this evil villain in a Disney movie, you know. He's got, like, green horns coming out of his head. He's Barabbas. Ugh. He's got, like, a patch over his eye. And he's wearing ragged clothes. And he's standing there, like, smoking a cigarette and drinking. Like, we kind of turn Barabbas into this guy, don't we? He's this evil villain that none of us can relate to somehow. We're all completely, I've never murdered anybody. I haven't started any insurrections or, you know, rebellions or whatever. Let me ask you this. What did Barabbas do to get his trade? Nothing. He did nothing. Does this sound familiar? You and I are guilty of betrayal. You and I are guilty of greed. You and I are guilty of selfishness. You and I are guilty of murder. Maybe you haven't killed somebody physically. But what does Jesus say? You got anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You and I have this in our heart. You and I have rebellion in our hearts. You guys might think, well, I haven't started any wars lately. Or I haven't caused any insurrections. Let me explain. You and I constantly, and who's, maybe you shouldn't raise your hands. How many of us know somebody or have been hurt by somebody in the church before? That, that you can go ahead and raise your hands for, because it kind of makes you ambiguous. It's like, I know somebody. Me. Like, why? Because each one of us have this thing in us that, well, have you heard this about so-and-so? Have you heard that about them? Oh, I don't like the music. I, he's way too loud. He's way too quiet. He's way too hymnal. He's way too modern. He's way too whatever. I don't like the pastor. He does this. He does that. He doesn't do this. And I wish he would really do this. I don't like the decisions they make as a church. I don't, like, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. We do that all the time, don't we? we? I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of this thing where we criticize and we want our own way. We bring up rebellion in subtle ways, saying, mm, let's do things differently because I'm kind of, I don't like it. I could do better. So maybe you're not Barabbas trying to overthrow Rome, but what we all do in some way, we spread gossip, we spread this 
animosity. We stir up things. And maybe some of these things are very valid points that need to be discussed. But then half the time what we do is we don't want to actually address it to the person that it revol- that's involved. Correct? And, and maybe you think I'm being a little too whatever. I can't tell you how many times I've heard these kind of things. I'm thinking, if you have that issue, why are you talking to me about it? Why are you not talking to the person that you're talking about right now? We have this Barabbas in us that stirs up rebellion, that we're greedy, that we're selfish, that we have anger. We have all these things. And maybe it doesn't quite look like Barabbas, but each one of us have done this. Let me give you an example from this week. Actually, yesterday. I have two daughters. So thank God for daughters because it gives pastors a lot of things to talk about. Last night, my wife was at the, uh, the women's conference. She was on her way back. And uh, the girls were great Friday night, Saturday morning. All of a sudden, something happened Saturday afternoon where they were Barabbas. Let me explain. So they, I went upstairs to their rooms, and I had told them already to clean it up. And they, instead of cleaning it up, they somehow made it look way worse. And like Haley, when I said about it, I'm like, you need to clean this up now. Five minutes later, she came in and said, it's clean. I walk in her room. Her toy box is just exploding. Things are stuffed under the bed. Things are popping up from behind the dresser. I open her closet and it just collapses all this paper on the floor. Like, this is not clean. And then she starts to cry. And like, throw a tantrum. I'm like, you better better straighten it up now. All you're doing is cleaning and you made it worse. So she goes from that and then she got in trouble for something else. Oh, she decides to scribble all over her chair. All over her chair. And this has been a conversation that I haven't had once this is probably like a three or four hundred time conversation. Why are you writing on things that are like chairs and walls? You're going to be six. You know better. You have ten coloring books just right here alone. Not to mention the other stuff we have in the attic and in the basement and in the living room. There's places for you to color, not when you're a chair. So she got in trouble for that. But here's the real doozy. Here's the real kicker. So she's in trouble. She's in her room for a little while. And Haley, or I'm downstairs doing dishes, and, and Faith comes downstairs, and she's like, Daddy. I'm like, yes. She's like, Haley told me. Let, me. let me get the quote right. I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> Haley told me everything Daddy says is wrong, and he knows nothing. <laughs> That's what Haley. And I go, Haley, come here. <laughs> so Haley run, comes down the steps, and she's looking like, I didn't do anything. Like, she got that real innocent look on her. I said, Faith just told me that you said something about me. It was, I was just kidding. I'm like, no, you weren't, and you're grounded for the rest of the night. You can eat your food in your room, at the table, at the chair that you scribbled on. Go do it. So she goes up, and she, she cried for a bit. And, of course, I don't like that. And I'm thinking, how dare she? Daddy knows nothing. Everything Daddy says is wrong. Does she not know I have my bachelor's degree? Like, that, the funny thing is, like, that's not a conversation that's happened once. That's happened, like, three times in the last week. All of a sudden, she thinks she's kidding when she says, Daddy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but can I just pick a bone with you that has nothing to do with this message, but kind of about Scranton in general? You guys say one thing that drives me nuts. Look it. Look it is not a sentence or a phrase. Look it. And my kids are constantly saying, look it. So I'm always like, what was that, Haley? Look it. I'm like, what was that, Haley? I'm like, finally, I'm like, look at it. And then she walked away, and she's like, Daddy doesn't know that. Look it is a word. I'm like, she said that. I'm like, no, it is not. Look it is not complete. 
Look at it. So please, don't say that around my kids. It's, it's a battle right now. I'm struggling. Every, like Faith, Faith did it to me yesterday. I'm like, oh, she's four and she's saying, look it. This is, this is going to be a long battle. But like even in my child, there's this natural thing in her to rebel against her own dad. To spread this, to go to faith, daddy knows nothing. Daddy doesn't know anything. Like, that's a very natural, sinful thing. Each one of us have this sinful nature inside of us like Barabbas, where we want to go against everything that's right, everything that's being taught to us, because we want to do things ourselves. We rebel. We're full of greed and selfishness and anger. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Correct? So each one of us can look at Barabbas and say, I'm Barabbas. I've caused these problems. I've caused sin and greed and selfishness and envy and murder and lust and and all these things. I've caused them in some way, and I deserve death. And then one day, one day, Jesus shows up, and he takes my place. And I did nothing. Barabbas didn't plead his case. He didn't try to do anything. He literally was standing there. They call him out, and they say, hey, what do you want? And they make this exchange, and Jesus takes my place on the cross when I should have been hanging on the cross. And now all I have to do is say, okay, I'm free. Okay, I get to live a free life now. Okay, I respond. You and I get to walk out of prison. You and I escape the chains of sin. You and I all, whether you're Pilate or the crowd in some areas, all of us are Barabbas, where this beautiful trade that doesn't make any sense happens in front of us, and all we have to do is respond to it. I don't know what Barabbas did with the rest of his life. I'm I'm not aware of any kind of other things that he did. So I, I wish you could say that he just, you know, he went out and he preached the gospel. Probably didn't happen. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really caught up with what he did. But you and I get this chance to to take this moment where we were once held in bondage, where we deserved death, and we were legally prepared for death. The wages of sin is death. And Christ made this exchange on our behalf, and now I get to bring life to the world. I get to respond. You and I get to respond this morning. I hope that this morning we could honestly evaluate ourselves. We can be real honest and say, which one of those positions, if not all, do I find myself in? Am I a pilot that's constantly exchanging the truth for something easier? Am I the crowd that's changing my values because somebody's stirring things up in my mind? When I know my values used to be this, that Jesus was Lord of my life. And somehow he just isn't anymore. Somehow I just... I just don't serve him anymore. But we can all find ourselves in Barabbas this morning. We can all realize and we can all celebrate that I was once bound in my chains of sin and I deserved death. And he took my place. I love that this morning we were singing Holy Spirit. And it was talking about in your presence, my shame is gone. And we talk about let, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience it. 
The truth is, if you and I haven't experienced this exchange, this trade, if you and I haven't experienced it, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, to really feel like all your shame is gone because of who Christ is and how much he loves you, I hope that this morning you can experience this. I hope you recognize that he has stepped in your place and there's nothing you should be ashamed about. There's no guilt. There's no sin. There's no lack. There's nothing that you should have shame about. You should be aware of his presence, be aware of his glory, and experience that joy. That's why we can honestly say there's nothing we want more than your presence. In his presence really is the best place you can live. It really is. Because then when you understand who he is, you understand the joy and the reward of his presence, you can make tough decisions that Pilate didn't make. You can stand up for truth and justice and not be worried about the consequences because in his presence is all you need. It's the fullness of joy. It's, it's life, life abundantly in his presence. When you live in his presence, you can make the decision that the crowd didn't make, where they weren't stirred up by silly little words. And what they did, and I pointed at this earlier, what they did in that moment, instead of taking the healing power of, of the gospel, the healing power of Christ, they exchanged it for lies and death and destruction. You and I, when we're in the presence of God, when we're living in that moment, when lies and death and destruction come and they kind of try to trick us into other things, they try to pretend that there's something else, we can recognize that and we don't fall for it because we're finding the joy in his presence.